Well, there's this um, old story that you may have heard, like a legend, about um, the inventor of the game of chess. When he presented this game to the king, he was delighted and he offered him any reward. And surprisingly, the inventor asked to be paid simply in rice. Um, specifically for one grain of rice to be placed on the first board, first um, square of the chessboard, and then two on the next, and four, and eight, and so on, doubling each time for the 64 squares. And the king, you know, sort of surprised at such a humble request, seemingly, was delighted to agree until his treasurers came to him the next day and said that by the time they'd reached halfway through the chessboard, it, the amount of grain required was more than the entire kingdom possessed. In fact, somebody, I read one estimate, somebody worked it out, and apparently to reach the 64th square, you would need to gather over 2,000 times the world's annual crop. And so, to spare his blushes, the king did what any self-respecting dictator would do at the time and executed this person, <laughs> humiliated, um, because they had failed to see that a request that sounded so simple in principle turned out to be hard to deliver. And today we're going to focus on some words that have, of Jesus that have a similar quality, easier said than done. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 34, we read that hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees, these are these two groups of uh, sort of elite, powerful um, Jews at the time of Jesus, they got together, this, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And you might remember a few weeks ago, um, Dave Miller, he looked at this passage and talked about the first of Jesus' commandments, to love God. Today we're going to be focusing particularly on the second, love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't know what you think when you hear those words, but to me they remind me of that, you know, the, the chess master's requests, something that is, sounds simple until you start to think about the implications. I mean, just think about it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What would it look like to do that? Especially when you know, most of us, we have, you know, most of us, we have some neighbors who are very easy to love, you know, like Gary and Jean next door, whoever, you know, lovely couple. But then most of us, we've got, you know, like the people across the road at number seven, if you know what I mean. <laughs> if you live at number seven, it's not personal, I'm just, for illustration purposes. <laughs> but in fact, in, in Luke's account of either this conversation or one that was very, very similar, the expert in the law is quick to raise a follow-up question, maybe in light of this. It says, but he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And the thing that he was almost certainly getting at here is, you know, where do I draw the line with this? Like, who can I be justified in excluding from this blessing? Because we know that this guy was, um, it says he was an expert in the law. In other words, his job was to understand all of the, you know, the, the Old Testament laws and scriptures that the Jews had. And so he knew all about how to love your neighbor, because it's all in there. He knew everything from what to do, you know, who was to blame if somebody fell off a neighbor's roof, to what to do if you looked over the fence and took a liking to your neighbor's oxen or spouse or what not to do. He knew all about that. So the thing that he pushes Jesus on is not how, but who. 
Who does this apply to? He's looking, he's a lawyer, he's looking for the get out clause. How can I justify loving on my terms? How far do I have to go? It reminds me of um, a few years ago, our um, small group, we were putting on, um, we decided to put on a barbecue for our street. And uh, we lived on this really long street at the time. And I remember we, we asked this exact question, like, how far do we, go? do we go? Do we go as far as number seven or do we go beyond that? And I'll tell you how that panned out later on the, the talk. So he asks this lawyer's question, but in response, he gets a Jesus answer. He gets a story, one of the best stories ever told. Um, in reply, it says, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And you may be familiar with the story. Jesus proceeds to tell this like, outrageous story where this poor guy, this victim, is, is left for dead in the road and he's ignored by two upstanding, holy, righteous people, a, a priest and a Levite, they walk past. And then, big plot twist, a, a Samaritan of all people, the Samaritans were this group that the Jews hated, he stops and rescues him. And Jesus said he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he put his man, this man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and uh, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, that's money, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any expense that you have. Which of these three, said Jesus, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, because we're sort of separated, you know, geographically and 2,000 years, it's hard for us to understand, like, the culture at the time and how scandalous this story is. Um, you know, the people would have been so shocked by this concept. Maybe a, a, a contemporary image that might just begin to give us a bit of a sense of, of this is, um, do you remember this image um, from in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder when there was a number of um, protests and counter-protests. And this image happened when this guy, Patrick Hutchinson, what he's doing there is rescuing a far-right protester who'd got injured and got into trouble in the midst of this, and he carried him to safety. In response to this question, who is my neighbour, Jesus tells a story that's as striking as that image. In response to this question, where do I get to draw the line? Jesus tells a story that points to the horizon and says, well, if you want to draw a boundary around it somewhere, it's somewhere beyond that guy who is your ethnic and ideological and spiritual and social opposite because they certainly are your neighbor. You see, your neighbor, yes, it's the person who's near to you and close to you. Yes, it is the lovely people next door and the lovely colleague who would fit in well at church, but it's also the guy at number seven who smokes weed and plays his music too loud. It's the annoying gossip at work. It's the person who cuts you up in traffic. And it's the person who you beep your horn at and gets, sorry, beeps the horn at you when you cut them up in traffic. It's the person who offends you and it's the person who hurts you. Because this is how love works in God's kingdom. Jesus loves the whole street. And this, of course, is, um, is hard, isn't it? It's a hard concept. And perhaps this is why it's important to remember that Jesus gave us these two commandments, love God and love your neighbor at the same time, because I suspect that, that in truth, we cannot do the second without doing the first. But likewise, if we do the first, we are compelled 
to do the second. What I mean is, you know, you, we can't love our neighbors without first coming from a place of knowing that we are loved and loving God. As Jesus' friend um, John put it succinctly, we love because he first loved us. It's where it comes from. But equally, it follows that if we do love God, then we in turn will inevitably love what he loves. And what does God love? He loves the world. He loves our neighbors. He even loves the people at number seven. It really isn't personal, number sevens. <laughs> and he says to us, I want you to love them the way that I do. And it's almost in this commandment, it's almost, the way it's worded, it's almost as if he's sort of acknowledging, you're probably not going to love them as much as I love them, but could you at least love them as much as you love yourself? Could you love your neighbor as much as yourself? And this was a countercultural message back then, as I say, but today maybe more so because we live in this culture, this cancel culture, don't we, where people are, these days are so quick to take offense. They reserve the right to withdraw acceptance and love of others and, you know, put them aside the moment they think differently or speak differently, to say, oh, I can't really accept that person after what they've said, what they've done, they're toxic. And as Christians, though, we give up the right when we come to Christ to participate in that. The moment we think we have the right to withhold our love of those who've offended us or those who've wronged us, we have to consider where would we be if God withheld his love from us on those terms? Where would we be if God refused to love those who offended him, those who'd sinned against him? And the answer, the Bible gives us the answer, it's not a good place. It says, um, as for you, you were dead in your sins and transgressions before you met Jesus. But the Bible also explains that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so in light of that, in light of that truth, who is our neighbor? How far do we go? Well, I like to think as, as far as um, Simon Gilbo, a guy who visits and speaks here from time to time, he often says, how far is too far when he went this far? So there's a little bit of a thought about who and why we should love our neighbor. I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking about how. And looking at this story, we see, I think, like five or so examples, expressions of love in this very story. So um, here at the top, if you see, the first one is care. See the red bit? When the Samaritan saw him first, he cared. He took pity on him. If we don't start by caring, we'll end up seeing our neighbours inevitably as a project or as a duty. And we can end up loving him in this kind of like transactional way where it's like, here's a bunch of flowers, now you've got to come to an alpha course. That's not how love works. I recently heard um, a better example of care. A lady called Sarah, who's part of this church, She'd been living next door to her neighbour for several years, but their relationship kind of shifted gears when one day she came round to borrow her microwave, and as they were chatting, she revealed that she had recently been diagnosed with breast cancer, and she hadn't told many people at the time. And so Sarah offered to help practically with um, school runs and meals and things like that, and whilst her neighbour was grateful, she later explained that the thing that she was, you know, she, she was receiving practical support from a bunch of places, but the thing she was really struggling with was the emotional side and place to process. And so Sarah was able to respond to that. And, and, and all the way through, you know, she, she went for walks with her, exchanged messages, and she said seemingly little things, but what turned out to be exactly what she needed through what turned out to be three bouts of chemotherapy. As we look to our neighbours to love them, perhaps our first obligation 
is to just simply care. Because in order to love, you need to care. And in order to care, you need to know a little bit about a person. And in order to know a little bit about a person, we need to ask our neighbours about more than just how is the weather. If you're up for a challenge in this, I would wholeheartedly recommend a book called The Art of Neighbouring, Building Genuine Relationships Right Outside Your Door by um, Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon. It's a good read and a challenging read. The second thing we see in this passage is practical help. See the green bit. He bandaged his wounds and he poured on oil and wine because loving care will eventually give birth to practical help. Um, A few months ago, a lady came in to um, Step Forward Money Advice, our debt counselling service next door. And alongside needing some financial advice, she and her husband had a range of difficulties. They'd got um, significant health challenges and then they they were kind of stuck halfway through this um, house project. They didn't have a, kitchen, a functional kitchen. They just got a bare room. I think they'd had some units delivered, but no appliances or anything like that. They were getting by using a microwave and a kettle that had to be filled upstairs. Her husband had had a stroke. And as the Step Forward team listened, they cared, and they began to consider ways to help. And so they reached out to our facilities team here, who went in They built the the units, they put the worktops in, they put the sink in. She was blown away by their generosity. They connected her with somebody from here who then invited her to a women's event and along on a Sunday. Brilliant stuff. Now, you'll be relieved to know you don't have to fit somebody's kitchen in order to help practically. That's quite a high bar. It might simply be, you know, putting the bins out or bringing them back in when it's a rainy day to save your neighbour the bother, or picking, offering to pick up a prescription for somebody who's poorly. I remember one thing I used to love, our neighbour, um, Pam, who used to live next door, and she's part of this church, and she would, when she was cutting the hedge, she would come around into our garden and cut our side of the hedge as well, and she did such a better job than I ever could. I recently heard about a couple in the church who organised a meal rotor for some friends who'd had a baby who aren't part of this church, aren't even Christians, but they roped in a bunch of you, like they're friends. And so these guys, apparently, they were just bewildered equally and blessed by all these people just turning up, offering to, you know, giving this delicious food. The next thing we see in the passage, um, onto the blue bit, is I think I've labelled it inconvenience. He put the guy on his own donkey. He was the guy, the Samaritan, who was willing to have his plans disrupted when others were too busy to stop. And I suspect that in this day and age now, when everything is just so busy and every second in our diaries is accounted for, being willing to be spontaneously inconvenienced is one of the most countercultural, meaningful gifts that we can give somebody. You know, on my way to, um, to come here, um, commuting... I occasionally get this sort of sense that God uh, wants me to stop and talk to somebody or offer to pray for them or a prophetic word or something. And, and often, one of the reasons why I'm hesitant is exactly this thing of like, oh, goodness, I'm busy. I, I don't want to be late. And then I think of this story and I have a little chuckle to myself. It's like, I'm literally going to be like that priest who just walks by. Um, but whenever I stop, I'm always glad I did. Just the other day, um, I found myself stopping and because I felt like God wanted me to say to this guy, are you all right? Which is a simple thing, isn't it? So I said, said that to him. Um, and he was like, uh, yeah, I'm fine. And then I was like, okay, great. And I was just, I was just about to walk away. And, I was, and then I was like, are you sure you're all right? And he was like, actually, it's my shoulder. And he was, he was walking back from QMC. 
Um, and he said, I've been to the casualty and I've injured my shoulder and they, they've told me that it's all right, but it just isn't. It really isn't. And so I was like, so what you're saying is you're not all right. And he was like, yeah. And so it opened up the opportunity to talk to him about you know, why I'd stopped and how I felt that God wanted him to know that he loves him and pray for him, pray for his shoulder. And at the end of the conversation, sadly, his shoulder still wasn't all right. But hopefully there was a part of him that knew that God cared and God saw him. And at the end of it all, I was like five minutes late tops. Well worth the inconvenience. And so I want to just present a bit of a challenge there. When was the last time that we ended up being a little bit late for something because we allowed God's agenda to take over? We were interrupted by a prompting to him to stop and help or listen. When was the last time an incidental chat outside your house got upgraded with a neighbor to an invitation inside for a cup of tea and a more meaningful conversation? Inconvenience. Next thing we see in the passage is hospitality in the orange. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. Things happen when we open our door in hospitality. The other day I was chatting to um, a friend just here who right now she's just going for it with her faith. And in the course of that conversation she said, you know, it's funny when I look back, it all started um, about 10 years ago doing an alpha course in your living room. And I had completely forgotten about that. But it reminded me that when we open our door in hospitality, kingdom stuff happens. Lives are changed. And when it comes to hospitality, perhaps one of the reasons why why we kind of like uh, can sometimes be hesitant to embrace it is because many of us, perhaps especially in the West, we, have, we tend to associate the word hospitality with a very sort of planned, controlled form of hospitality where, you know, the house is spick and span tidy, there's three courses meals, tablecloths, candles, definitely the toilet has been scrubbed. But do you notice the Samaritan shows a type of hospitality that, that's not the same as that? In fact, he doesn't even use his own home. I think our modern, Western, middle-class definition of hospitality is great, but in many, it has little to do with the biblical form of hospitality that we see portrayed here, which is really primarily about a person taking responsibility for somebody else's basic needs of shelter, security, warmth, rest, food, and good company. And, um, and again, if you're up for a bit of a challenge with this hospitality thing, I'd recommend a book called The Gospel... The title is brilliant. The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. Um, she's got an amazing story, this lady. She was um, an anti-religious social science academic, and she wrote this kind of scathing piece on um, the, the, the flaws of church and Christian leadership. And... Um, this thing, lots of people sort of responded to it. She got letters of praise and letters of outrage, but the reply that caught her eye was a pastor who, in response to this sort of scathing criticism of all that he stood for, he and his wife invited her around for a meal. And for some reason, she accepted. And over the course of time, their simple hospitality to her became an expression of the gospel and ultimately the, the, the path to her finding faith in Jesus. And years later, her life's been transformed and she argues for Christians to embrace a form of hospitality that is radical, yet at the same time, really ordinary. So it's not about, you know, just having people around who are gonna invite you back, 
but including those who aren't in the position to return the favor. It's not about fancy food or arranging the house to impress the Joneses, but about warmth and love expressed with the costly traits of being flexible and opening your home, not just when it's convenient and planned, but just simply when it's needed. And I want to sort of commend you as a church in this hospitality thing because I really feel that we are a welcoming and a hospitable church and we see it all the time. Um, I love, especially, I love it when we see people, uh, those of us who've been here for a while, welcoming new people and especially people who are coming here from other cultures or other countries. I recently heard about a couple um, come here from Hong Kong and on their first Sunday here they were invited over for a meal by the people sitting next to them. That is the kind of church we want to be. Um, And I love seeing people on a Sunday communicating using uh, Google Translate um, with the guys from Iran uh, or from China. I saw somebody praying down the front using Google Translate at the last service so that we can be hospitable despite the language barrier. It's brilliant. Or another um, creative example of this is a guy called Ben in the church who's a church member who, through his um, job, he connects regularly with a lot of asylum seekers and refugees, and many of whom he, he, he realised they're lonely and he wanted to do something to support them. So back in January, he and a mate, they decided to start playing football um, with some guys from Iran, because this is the home of football, so welcome home to the beautiful game. And uh, they started out with about six to eight guys, and now they've got 35 to 40 that come every week. Um, the whole group has become a bit of a thing. They've gone out to Alton Towers together. They've gone to watch Notts County together. I'm not sure that is a blessing, but there you go. They have built relationships. And um, Ben said, we have shared Jesus and Jesus' love with them. And one guy said to him, this is the thing that I look forward to all week. It keeps me going. Hospitality. And the final thing that I want to talk about that really sums all of them up in the purple, generosity. Whilst the Samaritan didn't know this traveller at all, he lavished him with generosity that he hadn't earned. And I think the reason that Jesus put this in this story is for us as Christians, we can recognise that this is a model for us. This type of unmerited generosity is a Jesus thing. Um, Later in the Bible, For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that in him, this is in Jesus, we have, this is what we've received, we have received redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, all in accordance with, not in accordance with what we've done, but in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And so when we extend unmerited generosity to somebody, when we do something for somebody without any sense of wanting payment back, we're doing more than being a nice person. We're doing more than doing our bit. We're, we're doing more than giving something back. We're actually responding to this glorious reality that we have received everything that we need from him for free. And so in light of that, we freely give. It's, it's, it's a way, as we do it, it's, it, we're sharing something of the gospel of the kingdom of God because we're giving people just a taste of what the king and his kingdom are like. And so my hope and my prayer um, is that, you know, as we go into this week, and in fact, as we go into this term, my hope is that these words, love your neighbour as yourself, will be ringing in our ears once again. For, you know, wherever we're at, wherever you're at 
in your faith or with your faith at the moment. You know, there'll be people here, I'm sure, who right now perhaps your faith is stagnant and it feels a bit apathetic. My prayer would be that this would be the fresh challenge that you need to get back out there again love your neighbour. Or there might be others here who, you know, for whom following Jesus feels hard and complex and confusing right now and overwhelming. And if that's you, my prayer would be that the simplicity of these words will give you somewhere to start. Well, just try loving your neighbour this week, wherever we're at, that we would leave wondering this morning or this afternoon now, who is the neighbour that God is prompting me to love? If you're a small group leader... Now is a great time to get your small group together and plan to do something this term, a blessing the community project. We've got lots of resources to help you with that. And um, speaking of that, I did say I would come back to that story. Do you remember the barbecue that we, we were wondering how far to go down the street? Well, in the end, we decided to just invite the whole street. And it was like, I think it was about 100 houses, wasn't it, that we invited? And um, anyway, the day of the barbecue came and it was July, so of course it was raining all afternoon. And so I was like, great. And so I was putting up, I remember putting up this gazebo, putting tarpaulins outside our front garden, thinking, this is stupid, nobody's going to turn up. And even grumbling, like, thanks God, we've put ourselves out there, you can't even organise some good weather. And then um, I noticed out of the corner of my eye, there's this, these two eyes, this little girl is looking at me over the front of the garden hedge, the fence. And she says to me, when I see her, she says, my mum says, you're having a barbecue. And I was like, yes, that's right. And she said, my mum says you've invited the whole street. And I was like, yes, that's right. And she goes, my mum says you're mad. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I think she's right. And then she said, um, well, I'm ready. And she stepped out from beside the fence to reveal herself. And she says, do you like my dress? And she's got this little party dress on. I oh, know, it's moving. She was the first to turn up, but she wasn't the last. We fired up the barbecue, the curtains started to twitch, um, one family wandered across, and then another, and then another, until we had about 40 or 50 people come along. It was a great time. And the thing is, that that was about 15 years ago, and there are people who are loved members of this church family now um, who came to that barbecue. And so I'm biased, but if you're asking how far do we go? How far down the street do we go? Let's go long. Don't be constrained by how many chairs you have. We have stacks that you can borrow. Not these nice grey ones, plastic ones. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus calls us. That was a bit funnier than I thought it would be, sorry. <laughs> Jesus calls us. This is, this is a command. Love your neighbour as yourself. And that, that applies to near and far and same and different and friend and foe. So what are we waiting for? Now's the time to do it. Let's go for it.